I was thinking about what Brother Swigert said about the guy that, the guy that said that. Uh, well, you know, you never read anywhere where Jesus ran or shouted or, or jumped or anything like that. In the Bible, you never read about him doing that. And Brother Swagger said, no, but everybody he touched did. Praise God. Amen. So, amen. When he touches you, something happens in your life. And I'm glad that he touched me. Praise God. Amen. When I came to that altar and gave my heart to Jesus and he touched my life, I knew I knew something had taken place. I knew something had changed. I knew that I was different. I didn't understand it, but I knew. Amen. You know, somebody what the, what the old boy said, it's better felt than tell. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. Well, we're going to uh, do a little Bible studying tonight. We are in the book of Proverbs, studying Proverbs, studying the wisdom uh, the wisdom of Solomon given to him by the Holy Spirit. And so turn to the seventh chapter tonight, the seventh chapter of the book of Proverbs. Praise God. Chapter 7, some good stuff here that we want to delve into tonight. Amen. You know, we live in a, we live in a very visually oriented world. Do you under, realize that? Very visually oriented. People would seem like people would rather see something acted out instead of hearing it or reading it. And uh, drama is a powerful, uh, a powerful tool today. You know, we've had our youth uh, drama teams here in the past and that did dramas. Remember the drama nights that we'd had in the past? And, and they, would, they would do dramas to some of these songs, and it was just so powerful. That just opened up the, the uh, just to see that, just uh, opened up those songs, that song and words to the song and and presented the message in a special way. So it's a powerful tool. Visualization is a powerful tool. And, and Jesus, you know, he was the master teacher. And Jesus used um, a lot of stories in his preaching and in his teaching. And he used parables in his teaching. And those parables were stories, weren't they? They were practical stories that he used that gripped the attention of the listeners. And those parables that Jesus gave revealed spiritual truths to his listeners. Every time you study the parables of Jesus in the Gospels, there's a spiritual truth that's being taught in those parables, or truths, plural, that's being taught. But there's always one major there's always one major biblical spiritual truth that is taught and revealed in the parables that Jesus gave. Well, in the in these in these chapters of Proverbs that we've been studying over the past week, the first six chapters of Proverbs, Solomon has been instructing his son and his children 
in the wise, the wisdom of God and in how to live a wise, skillful life. And uh, he's been giving the principles that his son will need. He's been instructing him and giving him the principles and the teaching that he will need to stay on that path of life. And Solomon covers a lot of different things that we've talked about in these first six chapters. And he covers a variety of areas, but if you'll notice... Uh, as we've went through these six chapters in chapter 2, in chapter 5, and in chapter 6, and again here we'll see tonight in chapter 7, Solomon focused a lot on resisting the uh, resisting temptation and resisting uh, especially the temptation to immorality and to sexual sin. And so he dealt with that, and we've talked about this um, a few times in the different chapters that we've studied already, but he continually brings up this subject and warns his son against seduction or about concerning seduction, enticement to evil, and sexual immorality and sin in general. But he, he again here tonight in this seventh chapter, Solomon deals with this uh, subject Again, but in in the seventh chapter, he uses a dramatic story to reinforce these truths in his son's heart. And so we're going to look at this tonight. And this this uh, he he kind of plays plays it out here for us in chapter seven. He gives us kind of a a, a drama or a picture or a story or a parable that uh, will, will give us some, um, some, some spiritual insight into what He and the Holy Spirit is trying to say and trying to teach us. Because in this story that He gives here tonight in chapter 7, He talks about a young man who foolishly violated. And again, remember, He's, he's teaching His son. And, um, and he, he brings up the point of a young man who violated these biblical principles and what happened to him. And he, he's giving us here an illustration of how Satan, the world, and sin is enticing and pulling people to, and, and pulling believers to, um, into, that, into that world of sin and a sinful lifestyle. So we as we study this chapter tonight, we want to be sure that we understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to say and what He's teaching us, and uh, that we take heed to this, learn some spiritual lessons from it, so that we will protect ourselves from deception that is prominent in the world today. How many knows that Deception is a, is a big deal today. A lot of people are being led astray and being deceived. And that's one of the things that Jesus said, you know, uh, when the disciples asked him to give to them the, um, 
the signs of his coming, what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age. And the very first thing Jesus said to them was, take heed that no man deceive you. So there's deception out there. There's false doctrine out there. There's, there's enticement uh, of, of, of evil spirits that is pulling and drawing our young people, young and old alike, trying to lead people down a wrong path and a wrong road away from what is right and away from what is godly. So we need to be aware of that. And here's the thing. If the Holy Spirit, who, who is the author of the Word of God, if the Holy Spirit speaks of this so many different times here in this book of Proverbs in chapter 2, 5, 6, and 7, he's doing that for a reason. He's trying to stress the importance of, of believers to walk the right path and not be led down the wrong way or the wrong path. Amen? Praise God. So look with me. Let's, re let's read a few verses here in chapter number 7. And, and he begins, he begins, Solomon begins here in chapter 7 by by telling us the greatest protection from the danger of deception and temptation. Here's the greatest, perception, the, the greatest protection from deception. And he starts it off with these first five verses by saying, My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live and my law as the apple of my eye. Corey, did you get the CD going back there? Got it going? Thank you. And um, keep my commands and live and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the table of your heart. Say unto wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your nearest kin. Why? Why is this important? That they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress, who flatters with her words. Now, I want you to notice, as I said, Solomon begins here with this, in this seventh chapter of telling us what the great protection is from the dangers and the deceptions of temptation that we all face today. And the very first thing that he tells us here, he stresses the importance of the Word of God. And that's another thing that's been stressed in these teachings from Proverbs is the importance of the Word of God, the wisdom of God, which comes from the Word of God. Amen. This book, this Bible is the wisdom of God. And so here, the Scripture is telling us that we are to keep the, um, what does he say? Keep my words. That word keep means, literally means to guard, to set a guard or to put a guard over. So he's saying here to put a guard over God's words and God's commandments. Literally to put a hedge about them and protect them so that the word of God does not slip away from you. And we'll, we're going to see that here. How that he's, he's stressing the importance of not just hearing God's commands, but of, 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 of applying them to our life and of guarding them that they don't slip away. We're to store them. Notice he said that, that, that we would keep his words and treasure his commands within us. 
We're to store those commands, to hide them within our lives like a valuable treasure. Let me tell you something. The Word of God, and we'll, we'll find out in, 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 uh, later on in Proverbs where he talks about the Word of God being more precious than gold or silver or rubies or money or anything that you can imagine. Nothing, nothing can be compared to the importance or the the, the, the value of the Word of God in your life. People value so many things today, but the, the greatest thing that you can have or possess is to have God's Word in your heart as a treasure. So he says to treasure that Word. Uh, you know, hide it as a valuable treasure. Protect it in your life, the Word of God, as you would a valuable treasure. And so he says, keep my commands and live. And my law, notice this in verse 2, and my, my law as the apple of your eye. When he uses that word law, the word law and commandments there, the word law is the Hebrew word Torah. So he's, he's specifically talking about not just treasuring Solomon's words, but he's talking about the Scriptures. He's talking about God's Word, and he's talking about treasuring God's laws and God's commands and keeping God's laws. And what does he say about that? If we keep God's commandments, we'll live. The Word of God, keeping the Word of God and living according to the Word of God and obeying the Word of God is something that brings life unto us. Amen? So to reject the Word of God and to resist the Word of God, I think would have the opposite effect. It would result in death. The Word, you know, back in the fourth chapter of Proverbs, he said, His Word, His the words of God are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. So he's stressing the importance of the Word of God. And in that second verse, he uses a graphic illustration here to stress the importance of keeping God's Word. And he says here that we are to keep the commandments of God and keep the law of God as, what does he say, as the apple, as the apple of your eye. I like that. What is he talking about? When he's talking about cherishing God's Word as we would the apple of our eye, the, what is the apple of your eye? The apple of your eye is the pupil. It's the, you know, it's that, it's that, 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 I'm not an eye doctor, but I know that that pupil is, is like a lens. It sits in the middle of the, of the eye, in the middle of the iris of your eye, and, and it, it opens and closes, and it serves as a lens to, uh, to let light in. And uh, so you can see, if you don't have your pupil, I think, you know, if that's damaged, your sight is going to be damaged. But the pupil, the eye, is the, the most important or the most sensitive part of the exposed body. And we all know how important it is to protect our eyes, don't we? 
Amen. Any any job you go to do, anything you buy to put together to build or anything, you know, they always tell you to wear eye protection. And uh, I found that out um, some years ago the hard way, working over there at Lincoln and those those heaters that were in the ceiling and the hallways. And I was cleaning those out and looking up and opened that up and some junk fell out of there and I didn't have on my safety glasses and and uh, got some stuff. Actually wound up getting a, a little piece of metal in my eye and had to go to the eye doctor and he got, you know what he did? He took a magnet and got it in there, stuck in there and pulled that thing out. But uh, nevertheless, it was irritating. It, 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 it hurt. It, I mean, I couldn't rest. I couldn't get it out and um, I needed to, I had to get that out so I could get some relief. But, but that eye and that pupil is the most sensitive part of the body and it's to be carefully protected because of the great value that that eye is and so that's the way he's talking about the word of God he's likening it to your eye the pupil in your eye how that your eye is protected uh, you know and God has has made it that way that he's given us eyelids and eyelashes to protect that eye to keep anything from getting in there we have a that you know that's the fastest reflex that you have is that blink reflex and I don't know how fast it is but it's so fast and you know if somebody pokes at your eye you immediately flinch and jump back because God's given us that reflex those eyelids the tear ducts to continually to wash and to cleanse out that eye and God is using this the Holy Spirit is using this to illustrate how how important it is for us to guard and protect the word of God in our lives hide it as a treasure in our heart oh cherish it as the apple of our eye you know, that term, the apple of our eye, the apple of his eye, means it refers to something that you protect, that you love, that you cherish very much. Amen? Have you heard people ever say that about, about their, one of their children or grandchildren, you know? Say, boy, he's the, he's the apple of grandpa's eye. Amen. What does that mean? That means that, that he cherishes that child. He loves that child. He treasures that child. And that's what the Holy Spirit is telling us and Solomon through the Holy Spirit is 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 pre preparing his son and God is preparing us before he gets into to the the fact of allurement and and temptation that what we need to do to protect ourselves is to treasure the word to hide the word of God let the word be something that we love above everything else let it be as the apple of our eye how many know Knows what I'm talking about to love God's word more than anything else in the world God God has 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 protected us and protected our eyes and we are to cherish the word of God in that very same manner but look then in verse number three he says to, he's still speaking about the commandments of God and about the Word of God, and he says, he says to 
bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. What's he talking about there? Does he mean to just literally take the pages of the Bible and tie them all over your fingers, you know? No, it's, he's using figurative language again, but, but he's telling us, what is he saying by, by, by binding them to your fingers? He is, he is telling us to keep the Word of God at hand so that they, the commandments of God, the Word of God will be readily available to us when we need them. He's telling us that if we would bind these entire the commandments of God upon our fingers so that they're there that we will not easily forget the Word of God. That's what he's saying. How many of you, you, we've all heard the term, well, you know, I need to tie a string around my finger to help me remember. Amen. And then you tie the string around your finger and you forget what the string was for. And I don't know if anybody's ever done that or not, but, but uh, you know, I need to tie a string around my finger. That now, now we have remind apps and things in our phones that we can use. But, but that's what he's saying, that it would be a reminder that we would always be mindful of the Word of God, the commands of God, and that they would not be easily forgotten. See, what Solomon is doing here in these first few verses is he's talking about having a loyalty to the Word of God and having a firm hold and a firm grip and a firm grasp on the promises of God. The commandments of wisdom will not keep us from evil if we do not keep the commandments of wisdom. Amen? The Word of God is not some magical amulet or charm that we just, you know, you know, we claim it as some charm. No, you have to hide that Word in your heart and, 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 and keep the promises of God. Keep the commandments of God. Walk in the Word of God. Be obedient to the Word of God. It's so vitally important. This is the wisdom of God that we need tonight to live in and to walk in. And if we will do that, if we will do that, get a firm hold on the promises. Treasure them in our hearts. Write them upon the tablets of our hearts. Love the Word of God. Make the Word of God a priority in our lives. Praise God. Then it will keep us from the evil and the, and the ungodliness of this world. Jesus said, sanctify them in his high priestly prayer in the 17th chapter of John. He said, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus told his disciples, you are made clean through the words that I have spoken to you. So that's vitally important. Then he says in verse 4 to say to wisdom, you're my sister. And to call understanding your kinswoman or nearest of kin. And kinswoman is a figure of speech for uh, love or strong affection. And he's talking here about the affection of your closest relative, of a sister, someone who is very, very close to you. And so what he's saying there is to have that we need to have a close relationship and affection with the Word of God. Amen? So he uses all of these um, 
this poetic, this poetic form to talk about how important the Word of God is to our life. And he's been telling his son, and he's been reiterating this over and over again. He's wanting us to get it. When God says something over and over again, it's because he wants you and I to grasp it and to get it. Amen. So put the Word of God first. Make the Word of God a priority in your life. Now look what he says. In verse number 5, he tells the reason why he wants us to keep God's Word and treasure God's Word and make it such a priority. And he says in verse 5, that they, what is they? They is the commandments of God, the Word of God. That these commandments, that they may keep you from the immoral woman. If you keep the Word of God, the Word of God is going to keep you. Can I get an amen? That they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. So he's, he's talking here now. He's, he's talking about the reason this close relationship with God, with the Word of God, with godly wisdom will protect us from becoming infatuated and taken in by temptation and the seduction and that spirit of, of deception and seduction that's in the world today. How many knows that there, there? You know, the listen. The apostle Paul said to Timothy that that in these last days in which we're living in, that some would depart, depart from the faith. Well, now you can't depart from something unless you've been there, right? So they've had the faith, but he said, and the faith speaks of the true faith. In Christ, the finished work of Christ, the cross, the, 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 the faith that is once and for all delivered to the saints from the Word of God. And he said, in the last days, there would be those who would leave the true faith. They would depart from the faith, giving heed to what? How many remembers what it says? Giving heed to seducing. And one, I think the New King James says deceiving spirits, but they are seducing and deceiving spirits. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. How many knows that the devil has some doctrine? A lot of it. False doctrine. Do you know there are a lot of people, many people that are following false doctrine today. Wrong teaching and wrong doctrine. There are many today that are being deceived and seduced. And that's why it's so important to know God's Word, to feed upon the Word of God, to come to church and hear the preaching and teaching of the Word, to get the CDs or whatever, you know, but to continually feed yourself with a proper diet and a regular diet 
from the word of the Lord. Amen. So this relationship, this is a relationship with God, with his word, and that that will exclude the relationship of, of the world. So in other words, if you and I are putting God's word first in our life and hiding it in our heart as he said, we're not going to be in the place where we will easily be deceived easily be seduced or easily be led astray. Do you understand that? That's why this is stressed in importance. It's so important. One fellow said it this way. I don't know who it was. I've read this before. I've used this quote. And I don't remember who said it. But, but, uh, but someone said, God's word will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from God's word. And that's true, isn't it? Amen? So, listen, you and I as believers, now when we, before we dive into this, you and I as believers spiritually are married to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 and 2 to that church at Corinth, I have espoused you or betrothed you to a husband, Jesus Christ. Right? And uh, he said, I want to present you as a, as, a, as a virgin, as a pure virgin to the Lord Jesus. And uh, he said, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the church of the Lord Jesus, that church at Corinth. We've been betrothed to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're the bride of Christ. Very soon, very soon, oh. Oh, there's a wedding getting ready to take place. Amen. And it's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb when the bride, what's that song? We shall see the king when he comes. Hallelujah. Uh, when the bride is united with the groom, we're going to go to that marriage supper. We're going to be with the Lord. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you what, that could be, we could be sitting at the table of the marriage supper of the Lamb but by, by morning time. That's how close it is. But we're the bride of Christ. Well, I was wanting to get through this chapter tonight. I'm going to have to hurry if I do that. We're the bride of Christ. And unfaithfulness to the Lord on our behalf, if we are betrothed to Christ, but we try to carry on a relationship with the world, we're committing spiritual adultery. It's all through the Old Testament where God accused Israel of being adulterers, adulteresses, committing adultery because they had forsaken Him, the true God, to worship and serve idols. They tried to have it even both ways, didn't they, Brother Rods? They, they tried to have it both ways. They brought their idols into the temple of God, into the Holy of Holies even. Trying to have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Amen? None of us can. So to go back into sin after we've been betrothed to Christ is to commit spiritual adultery against Christ because we belong to Him. We belong to Jesus. We've been purchased with His precious blood. And we cannot have a relationship with the world. Now, 
you know, somebody said, well, you, you, you talk about that a lot. Well, it's something needs to be talked about in the day we're living in today. Because we can't have a relationship with the world and a relationship with sin and sit at the table of devils and continue to live in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't work that way. We must maintain a close fellowship with Jesus Christ to avoid yielding to temptation and sin. So the, the seductress is out there. And I know he's literally probably here, he is literally talking about someone who, a, a young man who was seduced by a harlot to commit adultery with her. But it's, there's a spiritual application here, ladies and gentlemen. I believe it's parabolic as well because it's the, it's showing us how that there is seduction out in this world today that is trying to pull and to lead as many as possible away from Christ to commit spiritual adultery. So we, we've got to be on our guard all the time. We've got to have that close relationship and fellowship with the Lord to, to not yield to that or be drawn away or seduced. And we've got to stay, now listen to me, we have got to stay away from the path of temptation. We have to avoid. That's tonight's message. We've been talking about the last few uh, weeks from these chapters on things that Solomon was teaching that we are to avoid. Well, tonight we're to avoid the path of temptation. Okay. So that's what the Word of God and treasuring the Word of God is to keep us from that immoral woman, from that seductress who flatters with her words. Again, talking about the words of false teaching that lure us astray. Now look at verse 6. Here Solomon begins to tell this story. Here Solomon begins to paint a picture of the path to sin, and he posts clear warnings. He's looking out his window through the slats, and he sees a group of young people, and he notices one young man. Notice this. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple. I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of, of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house. He took the path, are you noticing this, to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. So he's painting this picture, and he notices this group this group of young people, he's looking out the lattice of the window of his palace or of his house, wherever he was, and he's looking out the window, and he sees a group of young people, probably knew some of them, and uh, uh, he notices one particular young man, and he calls him simple. He says that he's simple. That word means to be gullible or to be naive, prone to fall into to traps. He 
refers to him as being devoid of understanding. Wonder why he was simple. Why was he devoid of understanding? Simply, probably because he didn't do what Solomon had just laid out in those first five verses. He had not taken and treasured the Word of God into his heart and life. He had failed. He was void of understanding, devoid of understanding, and he had failed to separate himself from the world. Notice that. This young man, here's the, here's the thought that, that I get here. When you look at this, and here's the spiritual application, this young man thinks that he can get off the right path and walk the other path and walk the path of sin and get as close to this um, seductress, this seducing immoral woman, get as close to her house as possible and and everything's just going to be all right. He can do that and get away with it. Let me tell you, the fact the fact that he lacked good judgment and was devoid of understanding was seen in his actions and the path that he took and the way that he walked. And multitudes are going that very same path today and walking that road. And it's wrong. We got, you know, that's why Jesus said, you know what Jesus said? Straight. Enter the straight gate. Amen. Because straight's the gate. Narrow. What, what is it? Narrows the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. F-E-W. Few there be that find it. Not a lot. There's few on the, there's few on the narrow path. But there's a lot of people that are following this, this wrong path. Notice in verse 8 it said that he's passing along the street near her corner. Why don't he stay away from her corner? Huh? He, he, he takes that path. He knows she's down there. I, I, this, this is a, he's deliberately walking near the place of temptation. So many do that. Somebody said this. I, I don't know again. I, I got the quote. I don't know who made it. But I, I agree with it. It says, if you want to avoid the devil, de- the devil, if you want to avoid the devil, stay away from his neighborhood. Don't go into his neighborhood. Don't get closer. Don't, don't place yourself or put yourself in the place of temptation. If there's something that you know that you've struggled with and your your weakness is there, don't go around it or people that participate in it. Praise God. I've quit teaching now. I'm preaching and meddling maybe a little. (laughs) But he's deliberately walking near that place of temptation. Look at verse 9. Here's another problem he's got. Why has he got this problem? What is he doing this? He hadn't treasured the words. Of the Lord, the commandments of God. Look at verse 9. He says, verse 8, the last part, he says, He took the path. He took the path to her house. He took the path to her house. In, when did he do this? In the, in, not, not in the broad daylight. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. 
He left the path of the just. Remember, remember what it said in Proverbs 4.18, which was the key verse of that fourth chapter of Proverbs 4.18, when he said the path of the just is like a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. He ain't on that path, is he? He left that path of the shining light to walk in a path that is dark. It's twilight. It's evening. It's black. It's the dark of night. He's out in the night. He's left the right path. Now, he's, not, he's no longer walking in the light. He's now walking in the dark. You can't walk in the darkness and have fellowship with the light at the same time. Amen? I think we read the Scriptures last week where he talked about John and First John talked about um, if we say that we know Him and walk in darkness, we lie. Hallelujah. I'm preaching to the choir. I know that. It's preventive, right? Is that what we're doing? Preventive. It's preventive. Amen? Giving you your vaccine from the Word of God here to prevent you from this mess. All right? (laughs) Praise God. So, he's not heeding the wise counsel. Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Everyone that does evil hates the light. So we got to stay in the light. Now notice what happens. He's 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 got away from his 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 youth group, okay? He's he's taken a different path. He's walking toward her house. He's deliberately going in a way that he shouldn't go. He's got off out of the light into the darkness and verse number 10 and there in that situation there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square. Look, notice this word, lurking at every corner. She's looking for a victim, isn't she? She's hunting somebody that she can entice and seduce and lead astray. That's what the devil does. So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face, she said to him, we'll get down to there in a minute, but I just want to make a couple of comments. See, the character in this next part of the story is this woman that met him, and she's a picture. What's she a picture of? She's a picture of the world. She's a picture of allurement. She's a picture of seduction, of sin and evil. And she's carefully, carefully crafted a plan to capture this young man. She's just waiting for somebody to come down her path. She has, she's, she's like a black widow spider. She's, she's got her web, she's got her web all, all ready, and she's there at the web watching and waiting, ready to trap her prey, just like a spider. And here he comes. He's got off the wrong, off the right path and on the wrong way. And the Bible says she's there waiting, and there met him, there a woman. And it says that she was in the attire. It talks about her dress and her clothing and said she was... She was dressed in the attire of a harlot, okay? 
What does that mean? It means that she was dressed in alluring attire. She was dressed seductively. She was dressed in a manner to entice men to her. She looks beautiful. She has fixed herself up to where she's very attractive and alluring and beautiful and desirable. And she appeals to this young man. And this is exactly the way temptation works in every area of life. James said that we are that everyone is tempted, every man is tempted when when we are what? When we are drawn away of our own lust and enticed. There is a still a part of a of a nature that's within every one of us that can be drawn away and enticed and has to be kept under the control. It's called the sin nature. And it has to be kept under the control of the Holy Spirit. And the only way to do that is through faith in Christ Jesus and what He did at Calvary. And on a daily, daily basis, denying self, taking up the cross and following Jesus Christ. How many is with me today? Praise God. It's the truth. So there's, James said it's, it's, we're, it's enticing. We're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. That's what's happening to this young man. Said in verse 11 and 12 that she's out and about lurking and looking for her next victim. It says she's rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. She's lurking at every corner. She's hunting that precious prey to pull them into sin. Look at verse 13. So she caught him. She caught him. He got in the web. Hmm? So she caught him. See, listen. This is, this is the danger of flirting with or playing with sin or temptation. Some people just want to see how close to the edge they can get without falling in. Or how much they can do without going over the edge. But you get too close to that web, you're caught. Huh? What does what the Bible says? Flee. Run. Like Joseph did when Potiphar's wife was enticing him to sin. The Bible said, what did he do? He took off running. He ran out of there. He ran away. He got as far away from that as he could get. That's what we have to do. We have to stay away. But she grabs him. She kisses him, the Bible says. She caught him, kissed him, and she said to him, she, she using flattery. She makes him think that he's very special. Oh, you know, when you read this, can you, this is exactly what, what false teaching and false doctrine does. It flatters people. It makes them feel real, real, real good. There's some churches, you know, and I'm knocking anybody, but there are some churches. I'm not saying we're the only one going to heaven because we're not, but there are churches that don't want you to mention sin. Huh? It's just tell us something good. Prophesy, kind of like those, <laughs> those prophets told Isaiah, was it Isaiah or Jeremiah, said, prophesy smooth things. Tell us something good about ourselves. And, and she used flattery. She's buttering him up for the kill. 
And that's what false doctrine, false teaching does. Verse 14. Now look at this. Getting into something here. I've got a few more minutes. Hang on. Verse 14. Listen what she says to him. She grabs him. She gives him a big old kiss. She begins to talk, smooth talk to him and tell him how wonderful he is. She's making him feel real good. And notice this. She said, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows, so I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face. And I have found you. What is she doing here? She's soothing and appeasing his conscience. Is anybody listening? Huh? She's assuring him. What does she say? What does she say? I've got peace offerings. I've been to church. Oh, boy. Huh? I've got peace offerings. You know what those were. The peace offerings were when they, the, the meal, the meat offerings, the meal offerings that they would bring, they, they would bring part of those, those Thanksgiving offerings and those peace offerings, part of that would come home and they would get the family together and, and, and feed on it. And in the book of Leviticus, it talks about that. But she said, I've, I've just come from church. I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. Let's bring it down to where we live. I'm, I'm, I've, been, I've been to the temple. I've offered my sacrifices. I've, uh, I've kept my, paid my vows to God. I'm cool. I'm good. After all, you know, uh, hey, it's okay. This will be okay. Here's what she's saying. I, I'm right with God, and this will be okay. God really doesn't care because, you know, after all, we're all under grace. Boy, I tell you what, I'm, whoo, we're going to have anybody for Revival Sunday? That's the truth. That's the, listen, that's the seductive message that's being taught in our churches today. It's, it's the hyper grace message that it doesn't matter. After you, you make Jesus the Lord of your life and grace covers everything, that you can, you, you, know, you can do any kind of sin and it's automatically covered. And God, you know, there's nothing, that there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from God or to um, sin away your, your day of grace. Let me tell you something, folks. That's a deception. That's a deception. Paul said in Romans 6, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he immediately answers us, said, perish the thought. God forbid. No, you can't continue to live a sinful life and God's grace continually cover that. Praise God. But that's what she's doing. It's a perverting and a twisting of Scripture that's so often done within churches today to justify sin and the claim is today you can have this is what she was this is what she was saying i have my peace offerings and the claim is you can have peace with god and still still live in sin and that is a lie that's false doctrine that's false teaching that's not found in the word of god i hope it's quiet cuz everybody's listening We're in verse 16, right? Are you doing all right thus far? 
Verse 16, listen to what she says. Now she comes in to appeal. She's coming now to, she's appealing to his imagination next. This is what, this is what Satan does. This is, this is picture of temptation. Look what she said. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. She must have got some of them, them Giza dream sheets from Egypt. <laughs> She's saying, oh, they're comfortable. They're soft. They're nice. <laughs> She said, I'm going to lose the anointing now. <laughs> she said, I've per- listen, I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us, let, us, let us take our fill of love till the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband's not at home. Mm. Red flag. He's gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him on a business trip. He'll come home on, a, on the appointed day. What is she doing here? What is she doing here? She's describing her beautiful bed, her expensive spices, the perfume, how sweet it smells. Everything is so desirable. Everything is so exciting. She's describing how good it will be if he will go with her to her into her house. She's describing the pleasurable encounter that those two can have. And that is the deception of sin. It always paints the picture of fun, enjoyment, excitement, and pleasure. But it never shows you the end of that mess. Are you listening to me? She's she's dealing with his thought life here, isn't she? This is what I have in, in, in here. This is what's inside my house. And so she's, she's dealing with his, his, his imagination. Let me tell you, that's what Satan does. And you know what the Bible tells us we have to do? We've been given weapons of our warfare, and we've got to. What do we do with imaginations? What did, what did Paul say we do with those imaginations? We've got to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought. Are you listening to me? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. And here's where the, the, the battleground is, and here's where Satan likes to play, and is in your head, in your thoughts, in your mind, to bring out those lustful, sinful desires, and you and I, we have got to be on guard for that, and we've got to do something with our mind. We've got to bring those thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ, to the knowledge of God, and there we come right back again to what? Treasuring the Word of God. Paul said in Philippians 4 and 8, he said, listen, you've got, to, you've got to do something with your brain, with your mind, with your head. Amen. You've got to think on some certain things. And Paul said to, to think on, he said, the things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and things that are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. You've got to meditate and, and hide the Word of God in your, in your mind, in your heart, in your, and write it up on your heart put it on your fingers everywhere treasure that word so that when those imaginations come they will be cast down you got to know what Jesus has done and the victory that is in him let's 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 finish this up
verse 19. For my husband's not home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taking a bag of money with him. He'll come home on an appointed day. What's she doing there? She's assuring him, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to find this out. Her husband's away. He's not coming home for many days. And she's saying, hey, we won't get caught. Everything's good. No one will ever know. No one will ever find out. No one will ever see us. Little did she know, somebody was watching through the lattice of the window, Solomon. There's somebody always watching you. And it may not be an individual or a person, but I can tell you one thing. God sees and knows all. And nobody's covering up anything from God. Everything is open and naked before him with whom we have to do, the Bible says. But she's saying nobody will know. Nobody will ever find out. Come on. We used to sing a song years ago, years and years ago. This is an oldie. Nobody knows this but me. That's how old it is. Me and Methuselah knew this song. You sing an old song back in the Pentecostal church down at Cape when we first got saved. Watching you, watching you. There's an all-seeing eye watching you. Anybody remember that song? Huh? Oh, there's an all-seeing eye. We used to sing it in, in Sunday school. We'd sing that. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. What did, it, what, what did that say? For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little feet, where you go. Give that to Katie and let her do that on the worship team. <laughs> well, Glory. Somebody's always watching. God's always watching. All right. I'm about done. Can you stand a couple of minutes? Verse 21. Listen. With her enticing speech. Notice that. Again, a picture of false doctrine. With her enticing speech, she caused him. She caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as fools to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know. He did not know that it would cost his life. Let me tell you something. All sin is deadly. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God's eternal life. See, it wasn't so much the woman's beauty and all of her attire, her, her provocative clothing. All of that played a part. It wasn't that, though, that ultimately persuaded him, but according to the Scripture here, what was it that led him astray? What was it that got him? It was her smooth, flattering words and enticing speech. And that's the thing with the devil and with false doctrine. It's so subtle. It's so appealing. It's so tantalizing. And listen, it is so powerful. Those seducing spirits, every false doctrine that's being propagated in the in the world today every false doctrine and every false teaching has a demon spirit behind it to deceive people and to pull them and suck them into believing that 
That's why, again, we've got to treasure the Word of God, the true Word of God in our hearts. The young man willingly and foolishly walked directly into a trap like a submissive ox just being led to the slaughterhouse. Just like a fool being punished in the stocks. Just like a, an animal, a groundhog or a raccoon being caught in a trap. Or a bird in a snare. Unaware, unaware. He's totally oblivious to the fact that what he's getting ready to do and the route he's going and the path he's on will cost him his life. Oh, are you sure about that, Brother Rick? Are you sure about that? Verse 24, or verse, yeah, it says that it would, verse 23, he didn't know it would cost him his life. Now, therefore, listen, verse 24, let's read. We're going to get done with the chapter. Hallelujah. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. So now he's giving to them the conclusion, the point of this story. Listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray, stray into her paths. For, as, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. So see, listen, listen, this, this, is, this is what he's saying. It's like the house of this woman, is, this sin appears to hold great delight inside those doors, but it leads its path. Where does its path lead to? It leads to hell. Verse 27, her house is the way of hell descending to the chambers of death. It's like a death chamber. It descends to the very chambers of the dead. See, she seduced many strong men, it said. So listen. As believers, we must never forget the dangers, the dangers of falling into sin. We must never be deceived into thinking that we are above temptation or that we are some super spiritual saint and that may have happened to them, but bless God, that'll never, I never do that. Ooh, be careful, be careful. That's a, that's, a, that's a haughty attitude. The Bible said that, 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 that pride goes before destruction. Haughty spirit goes before the fall. Don't ever say, be careful to say, or, or to even think, oh, I would never do that. It's by the grace of God. That's why faith is not in me. Not depending on me. I'm not standing up here and saying, I'm a big spiritual super giant and I can, I can resist that temptation. If it's not for the Holy Spirit in me, if it's not for Christ living in me, if it's not for Him helping me, then I can be, I, there's no telling what you could do, I could do, any of us could do. If we don't keep our faith in Christ every single day of our life. We need to remember that sobering truth of verse 26. It said, many strong men have been slain by her that thought they would never fall into that sin. 
The Bible says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God, there's one of them, but God's. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But notice this, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it or endure it. The way of escape comes, the way of escape and the victory comes through the Holy Spirit, through faith in Christ. And his finished work. He's the one. The Holy Ghost. Listen, listen. I'm done, okay? I'm finished. Okay? The Holy Spirit. There's, there's, listen, Paul talks in Romans 8 about the, the law of sin and death. And he talks about the law of the spirit of life. Two powerful laws in the universe or in the world today. And the only power. The law of sin and death controls everybody outside of Christ. And the only, there's only one power that's stronger than the law of sin and death. And that is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And he said, praise God, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Praise God for Calvary. Praise God for the blood of Jesus that gives us victory over temptation. Nobody has to fall. Nobody has to sin. Nobody has to lose their way because we've been given the power to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and through the Word of God. All right? Praise God. Father, thank you tonight for your, your presence here. Thank you for this time of studying your word tonight. We just pray you'll bless your people the rest of this week. Strengthen every one of us by your spirit. Lead us in those right paths of righteousness and bring us back here on Sunday to have a powerful service for the glory of God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Have a great rest of the week. We love you guys and appreciate you all so very much.